Good evening. Thomas Fuller was an English historian in the 17th century. Uh, I came across a quote of his where he gave three observations about life. And I think what he means is he gave three observations about you and me. We're born crying, we live complaining, and we die disappointed. I thought about that. It's hard to argue in some regards for those three observations. I think I don't remember if I was crying when I was born, but there's a real good chance that was true. And I know that I won't be disappointed with what God's going to provide for me as his child at the end, but I'm sure I'll have plans that I won't fulfill when that time comes. And then there's that one in the middle. You live complaining, and I think, wow, I really have to go along with that in my own life because I certainly complain way too much. I know that, and as we go through what we're going to talk about this evening together, that it may be that uh, you are able to make that same assessment about your life. And I'm hopeful that as we go through this, we'll not only be able to say, yeah, Brother Dave, I do complain too much, but we'll be able to see how that particular element of our life is not what God wants. And it's contrary to the very spirit of living for Christ. When was the last time that you complained about something? Think hard now. <laughs> uh, maybe uh, a day ago, maybe an hour ago, maybe not too long ago. Maybe you'll complain before this ser- before this sermon's over. <laughs> uh, that's happened before. Join with me and read Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to go back to the book of Philippians because that's where we're going to find the word that will introduce our thoughts tonight. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. When I analyze this text, and again, uh, this is just my analysis of it, when I analyze the general import of this particular text, I think that I would focus on verse 15, uh, that what Paul is addressing here in some ways, is how Christians are to shine as lights in the world. Uh, uh, Brother Jonathan spoke about that earlier in one of his lessons and talked about Jesus' statement in Matthew chapter 5 that we are the light of the world. We have responsibility to reflect the light of Jesus in our life because he as well described himself as the light of the world. We can't decline that assignment because that's who we are as his people. It has to be something that characterizes our life. Well, I look at it this way, that that may be a way to look at the overall text here. I come away with three perspectives of our responsibility to shine in the lights and lights in the dark world. One is this aspect of a positive command. He says, work out your own salvation. Uh, We might summarize that the aspect of consistently obey God. Uh, Be consistent in terms of your life that in the end, you see, it will end up in salvation. And then there's an underlying hope that it's God who works in you. So this is not our light. It's not our work. It's God's work in us. And that describes a very profound responsibility for us to work because God is working. And then there's this negative 
warning sort of fit into the text. Do all things without complaining and disputing. When you look at that statement in verse 14, is there any sense in which you would think that maybe doesn't fit there? Or that at least we might not expect it to be in the context of this discussion that Paul would bring up the idea here of complaining. I find that intriguing that it's here. It would seem to imply that this is one thing that might keep us from shining our light. That of all the things he could mention that might dim our influence, where we might, as Brother Jonathan said, put a basket over it and keep it from being seen, that Paul would include in this discussion the aspect of complaining. Is it really a sin to complain? Is it something that God is really serious about? This passage teaches us that grumbling, as in the English Standard Version accounts it here, is a serious affront. And I think as we're going to study this, we're going to recognize it's not just a front in the sense of being uh, something that's discourteous. It's not just about negative thinking, but it's connected with an affront to the graciousness of God. It is in every way something that impacts the influence we have in the world that we are living in. It denies that which we claim to believe and whom we claim to believe in. When our lives is characterized by complaint. On the positive side, we flip that over. We might very well conclude that if we develop a life that's not characterized by complaining, that is content and gracious and thankful, that we very well will exhibit Christ within ourselves, that that will lead people to believe that we are Christians and that we live a certain way. So he says, do all things without complaining. Uh, The the word uh, here in the aspect of complaining is a word that's rendered the aspect of murmuring. And I think I'm way ahead of myself here in my my, uh, uh, slide, so just listen and don't look. (laughs) The word rendering murmurings here uh, in the King James Version uh, is a word that means grumbling or it means indignant. Vine says indignant complaining. Now that kind of gives it a little bit of twist here. The aspect that what he's talking about this here in the aspect of complaining is not just being dissatisfied with something, but making it known in an indignant way as though there's somebody to blame, as though there's someone who is responsible. And the word is used then to describe, you see, this aspect of in other places in scriptures, the laborers who worked all day in Jesus' parable and then grumbled at the landowner because he paid those fellows who'd only worked an hour the very same wage in Matthew chapter 20. The Pharisees grumbled at Jesus, uh, disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners in Luke chapter 5? And it's a word that's consistently used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to describe the Israelites and during their wilderness wanderings that they constantly complained before God. Now that presents it, this aspect, I think, of the real connotation of its use in Scripture is that the complaining we're talking about here is in the final analysis and assessment of God's blessing. It is complaining against God himself. Certainly it was for the Israelites. What should we not complain about? Well, we should, he says here, do uh, do not complain about anything or without complaining and disputing in all things. In the context of this verse, I'm convinced that Paul is focused on the aspect of what he'd said earlier than this. Sometimes we come across the term all things and we sort of have to look at it more carefully because sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean everything in the whole universe. But we have to be careful about modifying it too much that it doesn't mean all things. 
the idea here, I think, in the context of this verse may be focused on the work that God had placed before them. When he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and then follows it with saying, don't do this with complaining and disputing, he may very well be talking about obedience that's difficult, obedience that is, that is a struggle for us, what God has asked for us to do, being a light in a dark place. Don't complain about what God has given you to do. Don't dispute about what God has given you to do. So obedience, then, is more than just doing what God says. But rather, in the final analysis, obedience is doing things that God says with the right attitude. It's doing things that God says in a thankful way, in a gracious way, without complaining. So the apostle is arguing for what we recognize to be Jesus always striving for with his disciples, and that is complete obedience. Doing what God would have us to do from the heart, without reservations. Matthew Henry says, do it and do not find fault with it. Mind your work and do not quarrel with it. God's commands were given to be obeyed, not to be disputed. He says, this greatly adorns our profession and shows we serve a good master whose service is freedom and whose work is its own reward. I like that last phrase. We serve a master who is good. We serve one who wants what's best for us. That changes everything, doesn't it? If we know that our master wants best for us, then we're less likely to complain about what's going on. Paul even used that very same perspective in talking about physical slavery at the time in which he wrote in the first century. Individual Christians many times were actually involved in slavery and served physical masters. Some of them were tyrants. Some of them were terrible people. But he called on them to serve them as you would serve Christ. When you look at what you're doing to serve this master, recognize that Christ ultimately is the one whom you serve and do it graciously without complaint. But that's not always been the case. Individuals have always, in the scriptures, many times been described as those who complained against God. Cain complained that God's judgment was too severe for him in the very beginning. Jonah complained that God was too gracious. Naaman complained that God, you see, was somewhat uh, being irrelevant to his situation by uh, not allowing Elisha to do a grand gesture to bring about his salvation, saying that, Aren't the waters here better than the waters over there? And as we mentioned, the Pharisees complained that Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Now, I mentioned all those things not so that we see uh, that there's a lot of complaining going on in Scripture. But we recognize that the focus of much of that complaining and disputing was not only God as the one who had been complained against, but was an impugning of the character of God himself. He says, do, do not complain and do not dispute, or uses the term without disputing. The word for disputing here is, if I'm saying this right, dialogismos. Pronounce it, not because I can pronounce it, because I just messed it up. But so that at least by saying it, you can recognize that it is a, a root from the same root as the word, our word dialogue. That make a little more sense now. You know what dialogue is? It means you're talking back and forth. There's a conversation going on. And that's what the original word meant. It meant the aspect here of Engaging in a conversation, but a conversation where one was taking a side against another. We use the word argue or debate. When I was in high school, I was on the debate team. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, I think I learned some things there on the debate team. Um, uh, maybe the aspect of getting up and publicly speaking. It was a, a way to learn to do that without too much fear. But I also learned things maybe that weren't too good. I learned somewhat the art of not listening very well, just hearing what you wanted to hear so that you could turn around and make an argument against it. Because that's what you did in the debate team. 
You had a proposition and these fellows would get up and they say, we think we should do it this way. And you listen real careful to what they had to say because you're going to have to get up and tell them why that was a bad idea, why you shouldn't do that. So they were timed on the debate team when these guys would give their speech. And I'm thinking, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I couldn't think that. I could not think that makes a lot of sense. I had to think, no, that doesn't make any sense at all because I had to get up and dispute it. I had to get up and argue against it. And that's a way of thinking sometimes that individuals can be caught up in. And I believe even sometimes we see that in Bible classes, don't we? Individuals that are listening to what's being said, but they're not listening to learn or to grow or to even to understand. They're listening to see if they can find something wrong that they can complain about or argue or dispute about. So those who complain about life tend to argue with God. And that may be the way we ought to look at this when he says without complaining or disputing is that he's injecting in this aspect of the, the argument, the argumentative attitude sometimes that we develop in our lives. When I was a little kid, we had a word for that. It's called talking back. <laughs> and I know what talking back meant when I was a little kid. Maybe kids don't much too much do that today. But Dan can attest that we didn't talk back much. At least not a whole lot of times after we did it the first time. There was always a reaction to talking back. And there's a reason for that, right? Because obedience and submission does not allow for the constant presence of disputing. It runs against this aspect of what it means to one who serves another or one who falls in submission to another to always be in the attitude of disputing and complaining. Sometimes it's almost subtle the way that we complain in our lives. We complain about things that happen every day that are normal elements of life without ever thinking about the fact what they imply about what we're saying about our creator. John MacArthur says, Every circumstance of life is to be accepted willingly and joyfully without murmuring, complaint, or disappointment, much less resentment. There is no exception. There should never be either emotional grumbling or intellectual disputing. It is always sinful for believers to complain about anything the Lord calls them to do or about any circumstance which he sovereignly allows. Now that's a pretty comprehensive way to look at this. And when I think about this sometimes, I think about what does God sovereignly allow in my life? Things as common as the weather. You can ever complain about the weather? I complain a lot about the weather man. But sometimes they complain about the weather. That this is not the way I want it to be. This is not the way it ought to be. This messes up my plans. This is not really what's best for me at this time. As though somehow there's an impersonal force out there that either could be swayed or to which I can without any impunity, see, complain against. But that's not true, is it? My creator controls this universe and always be in an attitude where nothing in this, in this world that I live in, no situation or circumstance of life is always negative about me might very well impugn what I think about the one who's in control of all of that. The scriptures tell us of God's people who disputed with God and blamed God for circumstances and balked at his command and God always condemned it. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 20, Paul said, but indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing form say to him who formed it, why have you made me? like this. So what are we doing in our lives as Christians? We are overcoming a culture of complaining. That's where the struggle and challenge many times comes in. As Americans, we're blessed with the freedom of speech. We defend it and exercise it with passion. In addition to our freedom, we have enormous prosperity where things many times you see are very easy for us and we become accustomed to those things. 
and those blessings that come into our life that God has provided. We expect that what we're going to get tomorrow is going to satisfy us because we've grown accustomed to being satisfied in the physical things of our life. When we don't get that satisfaction, we rarely hesitate to speak up and voice our criticism or complaint. We complain about how the guy in the other lane is driving, about how fast you see our waiter brings the food to our table and whether or not it fits our palate and it's exactly what we wanted. We, co- we, we complain when the cable goes out, when the internet goes out for a few moments. We complain. We even complain when we think the umpire made the right, wrong call at the plate. We complain. What does all that mean? Well, I think what it, some things it means is that it's easy for me to be influenced by the culture that I live in. Sometimes we have to recognize we are that way because of the situation that we live in. And it's so easy for people of the world who do not know God to follow in that. And so the practice of criticism is prevalent and abounds with criticism. People being critics of situations of other individuals. So what we face is a rather challenging foreboding aspect of living differently. So that if Christ is living up in us, it's not just that we don't say certain things, but we don't think about our life the way other people think about their life. Amen. And it becomes something that's difficult for us. As we mentioned before, when we use the word murmuring, if we put that word in there for complaining, who in the Bible record comes to mind? Who do we think of most? We think of the Israelites in the wilderness. That God's people often murmured against God and Moses from the way to Egypt and Canaan. They murmured about their their food. They murmured about their drink. Paul looks back on that in his teaching in 1 Corinthians. He uses their experience as an admonition against sin. And the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 bears that out. That God had blessed his people enormously. Yet despite that blessing, despite both the physical and spiritual blessings that God had provided for the Israelites and their deliverance for slavery, they still complained. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also were tempted and were destroyed by the serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Don't do these things. Well, what things, Paul says? What things should not I do? Well, we, we don't want to be idolaters. And we don't want to lust after evil things. And we don't want to be, commit sexual immorality. Yet, right in the middle of that list of sins, of lust and, and, and idolatry and sexual immorality and tempting God, he mentions complaining. There again, it intrigues me where I find the sin and the mention of complaining in biblical text. It's in that list. Of things that as Christians we would never consider doing and recognize immediately. When we practice those things, we'd abandon God. And we certainly were being disobedient. But the other part of that text that, that I think is interesting here is it says that they were destroyed by the destroyer. Paul would tell us what the end result was of their idolatry and their lust and their complaining. Although delivered from the destroyer in Egypt by the sacrificial blood of the Lamb, The firstborn of Egypt, God rescued them. They were punished by the same God in the wilderness. Why? Because, at least in part, because they were complainers. That passage forces me to take this seriously. What's God teaching me about this perspective of life? 
to never be satisfied with what God provides, to always be grumbling about how life takes place. There are a couple of passages, I think, that bear this out. First Peter chapter four, verse nine, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. James chapter five, do not grumble or groan within against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Might have us notice there that he talks about grumbling and the literal translation of that is to groan within. So sometimes it's not even whether or not we say it or not. It's whether or not we're groaning and dissatisfied within ourselves. And Jude verse 1, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Jude was talking about the heretics of his day, characterized not only by their false teaching, but by the fact that they were grumblers and complainers, and it characterized their very life. All that tells me that grumbling and complaining, a negative perspective on my life as I live it, is the characteristic of the wicked and not God's people. It's something they do. It's not something we do as God's people. And there's reason for that. I think God's people receive and and, and recognize good things from God. They know who he is. They recognize his character and understand ultimately what he has provided for them, the hope that's ahead for them. How is it that God's people can be so unjoyous and so ungrateful, so voiceably complain about their lives? But then it goes back to what we started out with, and that is that complaining really hides our light. What will make us stand out in a grumbling, complaining society where criticism is all around us, where people feed on the aspect of the criticisms that are made of everybody of every day and social media is filled up with it? Put something out there and see if somebody complains about it. Mention something and see if somebody will will follow it with a negative command. We expect it. We understand that it happens all the time. But if somebody does not do that, if that's missing, will it be noticed? I believe refusing to complain about difficult circumstances is a mark of distinction of the Christian in the world. When people would expect us to complain and we do not expect us to be unsatisfied and yet we are satisfied. Looking for discontent because they're discontented and yet here we are, we're not discontent, we're happy and satisfied. That stands out. Why is complaining a sin? I'm going to mention a few things here I think that at least to, to me, the Bible teaches and I think make a, 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 at least a challenging point to me about what we're talking about tonight. Uh, one, I think we recognize uh, that uh, there is a place for legitimate complaint. God's not saying you can't ever say anything negative about anything and that there's no reason to bring up anything that something might be wrong. There's time when it's time to complain. And Acts chapter 6 is an interesting element of that. In those days when the number of disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Looked around and here's some ladies that are not being taken care of and there was a complaint issued. Now God didn't say, i got to quit complaining. He set in motion the ways in which that could be ultimately satisfied within the early church. It would appear that this was a legitimate complaint. The apostles didn't condemn it, but rather fixed it. And sometimes there's a reason why we ought to speak up and say things are not the way they ought to be. I look at the Psalms and I recognize that there were even times in which the psalmist ultimately spoke out against his, the situation that he was in to God himself. And the psalmist questioned, well, why was this happening? Why are you doing? Why are you taking so long to do this? And I'm, I don't easily just dismiss that as saying that all of those instances are where someone's speaking against God and shouldn't have said it. I think that David and other psalmists were certainly making their heart known to God in a way that God 
recognized and ultimately I think God approved of because it was an act of seeking for greater faith. They were looking for words from God and assurances from God and even actions from God that would bolster their faith. And there's a difference there. We need to be really ready to talk about our life to God because God cares. And casting our cares upon Him, maybe even to the point where we voice what's going wrong in our life to Him so that we can deal with the doubts or the difficulties that we have. It's not a sin to point out the faults and errors of others when it's needed to bring about repentance. But the idea of complaining about life itself, and particularly complaining about the circumstances of life, simply because I'm dissatisfied, and I feel that I must voice that dissatisfaction, is ultimately what God, I believe, is condemning. One reason... The complaining is wrong, is but complaining about God contradicts love. That's our first response to someone who displeases us. Cuts us off in traffic, says something we don't like. Treats us in a way that we expected better of them. Many times it's to go and complain about to others, isn't it? Sometimes the first response is not to go to the person who ultimately displeased us, but rather to go to somebody else. Did you see what they did? Or even to sit around and talk about, you know what all those people are doing over there and what they want to do? A lot of pop political rhetoric is just that way. Is some people complaining about what other people do. And I think we've got to be careful about that. There, there certainly is speech that will bring about and needs to bring about reform to make things better. And certainly Christians have a right to engage in that. But if it's just complaining about the general aspect of what other people are doing, then we need to recognize that's not what God wants because it contradicts love. We impugn the motives and make judgments out others while ever considering the aspect of how God wants me to treat them as an individual who is lost. Or an individual, ultimately, who needs God in every way in their life. Without considering that I have a responsibility to forbear. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. And then 1 Corinthians 13, that powerful passage about love. What is love? What does it do? It suffers long and it's kind. It does not envy. It does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Complaining about circumstances impugns, as we mentioned before, the goodness of God. It's a way of saying in terms of displaying ingratitude, not only am I not satisfied, but my life is not what it ought to be because God is not as good as I expect him to be. Those who live life with a negative perspective on everything around them are showing to the world what they think about their God and ultimately how sufficient they think their God will provide for them or is providing for them. I think what's interesting to me is that sometimes I find folks and myself sometimes who would be somewhat reluctant to complain about other people but will have no problem complaining about the circumstances of my life in general. There is the... uh, There's the whole aspect of yeah, but. I think that may be a way in which we can sort of identify to ourselves whether or not we need to focus on this in our life. And that is when we're met with a blessing of life, maybe somebody tells us, oh, yeah, I heard that you got a raise today. Well, yeah, but still not enough to cover my bills. We come face to face with the blood. Isn't it a nice day today? Yeah, but it's going to be raining tomorrow. So wherever there's a blessing, we followed with a yeah, but. 
which shows us exactly the direction that we're going in our thinking, or at least where our thinking sometimes is already at. As an obstacle to true, unfettered thanksgiving is a yeah but that provides for us an insight to our heart that we're really more in a complaint mode than anything else. And so, I see you're doing better. Your health has improved. Praise God. Yeah, but I still can't sleep at night. You see how that sort of short changes it, doesn't it? It does. So we need to take notice how we react to the blessing next time they're pointed out to us. Next time things God God provides for us a time to rejoice that we don't sabotage that rejoice by the attitude of complaint. James gives us some options. James chapter 5. He says, any one of you in trouble? Then he should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone sick? Let him call the elders of the church and pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. What I find in all three of those injunctions is that everything about that, whether it's happy or sad, whether it's sickness, it all points back from the Christian to God. And not God in a negative way, but God in a positive way. That whatever's happening to me, God's in control. God can be thanked for that. God can heal me and provide for that. God is to be praised. Amen. Complaining is also, as we mentioned as well, it is a sign of discontent. Discontent in itself is wrong. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, Paul says, and I know how to abound everything and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul urges the Philippians elsewhere in this book, to focus on good things and to give thanks to God, to overcome, overcome a complaining spirit by learning to be content. Learning is a word to underline there. It does not come natural for us to be content in our lives. Paul, the writer of Hebrews addresses this in Hebrews chapter 13 and connects it with the aspect of covetousness. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Okay, I see that. I don't need to be a covet person. But then the next line says, be content with such things as you have. Does that mean if I'm not content with what I have, that I'm now I'm covetous? Yeah, that's what that means. Or at least it's a sign that you have not yet dealt fully with the covetousness if you're not willing to be content with what you have right now. Things as you have. Now, why should I do that? The writer of Hebrews says, because God has promised that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then lastly, complaining is counter-evangelistic. Most often when we talk about complaining, and we sort of touched upon it when we first started this, we smile about it, don't we? Oh, I complain too much. I know I do. Or we have, we take it sort of in a a light, trivial way that, yeah, everybody does that. And it's sort of a natural thing. You know, the weather's not what we want, but so we complain about it. When really we need to be more serious about that, but not just for the standpoint of the things we've looked at in terms of that's sinful for us to take a negative perspective continually through our life, but because it ultimately gets in the way of the very thing that God wants us to acquire most, and that is an evangelistic spirit and successful in bringing people to God. There's a good reason why complaining is counter-evangelistic. Paul gives us a reason, I think, in this that transcends 
any selfish perspective. And that is that these things ought to be done so that you may be. You saw that in the text earlier? That we should do things without complaining and disputing. And the next phrase is, so that you may be. Light shining in a dark place. There's a reason why we shouldn't complain. Because it gets in the way of being able to bring people to Christ. And turning them towards Him. When we're always, you see, negative about the world that we live in. We are to become these lights in the world so that ultimately people will be attracted to us as living differently. But it's a challenge. One last passage in, in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Moses' recollection of the murmuring crowd in the wilderness that he led them through teaches them a lesson from their own history in Deuteronomy chapter 1. He says, Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us in the land of the Amorites to destroy us. What's the message you want the world to get about what you believe about God? If you tell anybody one thing about God, what would you tell them to bring them to him? God loves you. Isn't that the message? That you want other people to know about what you think of God is that God loves you and he loves me. And Moses said, do you realize what you've done? He said, when you complain about Jehovah God who brought you out of deliverance and provided for you all of these things, you not only did you rebel against the commandment of the Lord, but you sat in your tents and you complained about it. And you've said ultimately because God hates us, he's brought us here. That's just the opposite message that God wants his people to display. You believe God hates you. There's not a person in this room that believes God hates us. But we are complainers, aren't we? Many times. So if we don't want that message, we need to stop the complaining and the grumbling and start thanking him and living graciously before him. Thank you for listening so carefully to the things that we've said. We need to rise up and obey Him and do the things that are right in our life, ultimately displaying to others this attitude that God loves us above everything else, and that's what we want everyone around us to know. Thank you. Bye, Mr.